Now turn please with me again to John 14, if you would. John 14. Now this morning I'm going to start my sermon halfway through it, so you can breathe a sigh of relief, I suppose. But actually, um, I'm very impressed to do that. Not just It is because of time, but not just because of time. But because, you know, what we've just thought about in these last few minutes here, we've seen young people who have demonstrated the fact that they are now entered into the kingdom of God and they've given witness to that and they're looking forward in their lives to be here on business for their king. And that's what's in my mind. Here on business for our king. The great business of the kingdom of God and our role and place in it. Now, John 14, 15, 16, we know the upper room ministry starts off with let not your heart be troubled. Lovely words. We spent all last week on that. Those beautiful words of reassurance and comfort founded on such a solid foundation Founded on the fact of who he is. Believe in God, believe also in me. For the eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Believe on what I say, my word, they'll never pass away. Believe and be comforted by the fact that my promises will never be broken. They are ever true. Let not your heart be troubled. It's as though he sums up Psalm 23 for them in such beautiful words. And then he closes the night's discourse with verse 33 of chapter 16 and he says the same kind of thing. Be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. I'm leaving you in a world where you're going to have the tribulation, where you're going to be faced with so many things, but be of good comfort. Not because I'm just trying to cheer you up, but grasp the fact that I have overcome the world. I have lived in a world of wickedness, in the realm where Satan reigns and rules, in a place of hatred, persecution, opposition and obstacle for the believer, I've lived through it myself. It has not overcome me. I have overcome it. In me you may have peace because he has trodden the way before. He leads us every step by the hand. He guides us by his grace. And he keeps us by his power. The beautiful, wonderful truth is that he that has saved us is able to keep us. We'd like to say that to the three young people this morning. The God who saved you is able to keep you. But I'd like to say it to everybody living in the world that we live in. in the world in which we're going to have such tribulation. He that has saved us is able to keep, is able to keep us. But... In between those two exhortations, if you read the sermon on the, the uh, upper room ministry, the sermon that he gave on the last night of his life, you will see that the Lord Jesus actually addresses specific areas of problem that they will be faced with and that were rising in their own minds as they thought, look, this is dreadful, he's leaving us, there is death, and there's situations we're left in and situations we have to face and cope with and they make our hearts fearful and they cause us to be troubled. Now, I want to look particularly at one of them and that is how are they going to manage the great work of the kingdom of God when he, the king, is gone from them? I mean, the work has been committed to their trust. While he was here... He was the king, and he did that work. 
It says he declared that the kingdom of God is among you. When he started to preach in Mark 1, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Just a few months previous to this very night on which we're reading, we've read in John 14, that very night, just a few months previously, he'd taken them and he'd sent them out two by two. And he said, look, the labourers, he said, they are few and the harvest is so plenteous. Go into the cities, he said, and declare unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. I mean, however are they now going to be able to continue the work of the kingdom of God? Especially in view of the fact that, you know, the world they're left in is a world of hate. It's a world of opposition. It's a world where Satan is doing everything he can against the people of God. And in view of the fact that, you know, he won't be there. Even when they went out two by two and they faced what they faced, at least they came back to him and he was there. And they're feeling, well, terribly left alone. And they're, and they're feeling so inadequate to continue the works of God and to speak the word of God in the world where they were left. We must identify with that feeling, mustn't we? Don't you feel inadequate in the world in which we live today to speak the words of God and to do the work of God. And yet that is our role in the present world. We're here on business for our king. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 14, it says this, The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. I'm not originating them. I am speaking what God gives me to speak, number one. And the Father that dwells in me, he does the work. He says, the words are not mine. I am merely the mouthpiece for God my Father. The works are not of my own self, but God is using me through me to do these works. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, he said exactly that about the mighty works that the Lord did, which God did by him. Number one, the work is in the hands of Almighty God. It is not your work. It's not my work. We're not in charge of it, right? We don't originate it. No, we don't even plan or, or have to feel that it all rests on us. Realize we're here on the king's business, and it's the king's business. And he is the enabler, and he is the originator, and he is in control of all. Now, they're getting to realize the fact that that work of speaking his word, God's word, and doing those works, the work of God, is now falling to them. And really they would think, well, you know, they're going to be absolute failures. And look what it says. Verily, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, they will continue to do those works. Shall he do also, the work won't stop. Indeed, greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. In other words, the work will not cease, the work will actually grow and we look back and we see the gospel that the Lord Jesus began to preach 
as he moved out from Galilee declaring the kingdom of God, has moved far past Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Galilee, and it's gone to the uttermost parts of the earth, you see. The work would not stop, but the work would grow. And you say, but however can that happen when the Lord is missing? And then you go to verse 12. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the means by which the work will be able to be continued is by and through the avenue of prayer, number one. Number two, he talks about in the next few verses that he will send the Holy Spirit. And it will be the Holy Spirit whose presence and power will be the great enabler and the enabling of these fearful souls who thought the work of the great work of the kingdom of God would come to nothing, you see. Left in their hands, they couldn't do it. He says, no, no, hold it, it's not in your hands, it's God's work, number one. Number two, you've got an avenue now that you, you know, in a new and powerful way, because whatsoever you ask in relation to the work of the kingdom of God, I will do it because I'm going via the cross to the crown, to the throne, to a place of power where I rule and everything's in my hand. I am king and lord of all. And through the access of prayer and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, you will find the work of God will not just continue, but the work of God will grow. And that enabling grace was theirs in their day. And that enabling grace is for us today. Right. Learn the lesson, please, and grasp it. The Lord himself, our captain, is on high, listening to our prayers. His power is unlimited and it is limitless. Grace is able to be dispensed for every situation. And the Holy Spirit is here already doing a great work in the world and upon this earth. And all of us are now involved in this great work of the kingdom of God. In one way or another, we are all preaching, that declaring the kingdom of God in this present world. You and I are showing, as well as saying, the rule of God, the authority of God, the supremacy of Christ, the kingdom of God. And in every part of your life and at all levels of your life, what you are doing is displaying you're a subject of the king. And what you're doing is reflecting who that king really is. I mean, what do you do? You do everything for the glory of God, don't you? Well, I tell you what, the person that's not saved is not doing that. And when you go to work, what are you doing when you get to work? You are doing your work as if you're doing it unto the Lord. And none of us are living unto ourselves, you know. And none of us die unto ourselves, because whether we live or die, what does it say? We live or we die unto the Lord. And the whole of the believer's life, and this is what you're saying in your baptism from this point forward, everything in your life is directed at him. You're living for him. You're living under him. You're living subject to him. You are serving the king. And we do it all the time as believers by our life, our words, and our deeds. That, that is shining the light in the darkness. That is actually declaring what the kingdom of God is. And it doesn't matter 
where you are in life, what age you are in life, it applies completely. You say yourself as a child, you know, as a little child, babies we've got here. Do you know they're declaring the kingdom of God? A baby is doing that. You say, well, they don't. All they do is cry. <laughs> but you know who's greatest in the kingdom? It's a little child. You see the dependency, you see the trust, and there's something there of what the kingdom of God and being in the kingdom means. But let me just take it more into the realm of responsibility. You're a child here this morning, all right? And you're growing up in a home. You know, you show by your obedience and respect for your parents, you show something of the kingdom of God. Someone says to you, your peers, you know, why, why do you do what they say? Well, you do it because, you see, you are in God's kingdom and you are serving the Lord and obeying what he has to say. And just by your attitude in the home to the parent, so you are declaring something of the kingdom of God. You are actually doing the business of the king. Bible's full of little ones that deserve the Lord. Naaman's maid, you remember the little captive maid in Naaman's house who knew about the God of Israel and the man of God in Samaria? And you could go on and on. Paul's sister's son, he must have been fed. He must have only been a boy. And he was out in the town, wasn't he? And he heard them planning to take the apostle's life and put an end to his ministry and to stop the gospel. But he overheard it and he came and told. And God used him in the great work of the kingdom. So the great apostle was let down through a window in a basket to safety and continued on his way. And so it goes on. Children, please, as you behave in your home, you are declaring to your peers something of the kingdom of God. Teenagers... As you grow up, you learn carefully, because you've bowed your knee and come under the authority of the Lord Jesus, you be very careful not to show rebellion and to show respect. The prime sin of youth is actually rebellion. You say, you're saying that about today's world. No, just in a general sense. When I was growing up, the biggest challenge to me was not to rebel against authority. Was it always easy? Of course it wasn't easy. Did you think you suffered injustice? Of course you suffered injustice. But I remember in my early teen years reading the book of Proverbs closely and realizing a son and a father. And I used to think of that words of, of Solomon. I was a son unto my father. I was tender and as an only one in the sight of my mother. And I think that's what I must be, a son to my father. And in the eyes of my mother, one who gives her credit and respect. Because you see, rebellion, I want to say it again. I wish my generation had realized that we grew up in the time of ultimate rebellion and the promiscuous society, the casting off of restraint and the despising of all that was good because we were now free of the Victorian era and all the fuddy-duddiness of the past. And many a Christian took that mentality on board, not realising that they did it and thought they were super cool as they struck out on their own and they established themselves in their own little lodgings and left their family home. Why, you say, well, it's a good thing. No, they went because they were going to be themselves and express themselves and had trouble with authority. And we've passed that on to our children in many, many ways, not recognising it. So number one, there's the children. Number two, there's the teenager, respect and rebellion. 
And number three, let's take ourselves, the women that are here this morning, in the kingdom of God. I want to say this. If in today's world, ladies, you can be what God intends a woman to be, you are in the business of your king. It is such a difference between the biblical outline of a woman and the definition... Well, they haven't got a definition because they don't even know what a woman is. But you get me. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you are what God made you to be in all your beauty, in all your distinctive glory, then I tell you, you will radiate something of the hand of God in your life. And just by your demeanour, attitude, behaviour, service, you'll be shining out what God can do in a, a life of a sinner and transforming them into one of his children, you'll be showing forth the meaning of the rule of Christ over your life. You'll be doing the business of your king. You may be a woman, yes. You may be a mother. Mothers never buy the current day lie that there is a career greater for you than motherhood. Please, the greatest role for a woman as a mother is her motherhood. You know, the Lord, when you get to the judgment seat, won't say, well, well, dearie, you did so well to get your PhD, didn't you? Wasn't that wonderful? And he say, hey, hey, what about those children that I gave you? Do you know every child you've got came from the Lord? Do you understand that? And it really shocks you and it really pulls you up. But I tell you, true motherhood is the most unselfish role that you could ever see. True motherhood is the most unselfish role you could ever see and a tremendous witness in today's selfish world. Because that's where we live, in a selfish world, don't we? They all live for themselves. No, the mother just enshrines the beauty of it. And if you're a man, if you're a man in the kingdom of God, quit yourself like a man and be strong. We're living in a day of weak men, frightened men, who will not take responsibility, who will not take the lead, who will not take the shots, who will not stand up and be counted anymore. Be a strong man, and they'll say, here's an ambassador for Christ. Here is one who is here on business for the king. You're a husband. Well, all you've got to do is to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And I tell you what, you will be declaring the truth of the kingdom of God. And somebody unsaved will come into your house and will watch how you treat your wife. And they'll think there's something different in this home. There's something that's gone on. What are they doing? What you are doing is showing the business of the kingdom of God. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're a father, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible says ye fathers do that. Take responsibility for their direction and for their correction and maintain the standards of God in a way that will not cause them to get angry or to stumble, but in a way in which your heavenly Father has dealt with you. And there'll, people will come into your home and they'll say, what's going on here? You can say, I'm here on business for my king. I'm a child of God. 
I'm under the reign and rule of Christ and the authority of Christ and I'm showing and displaying just in the ordinary affairs of life what it means to be on business for the king. Oh, they thought it was all over. They thought they'll never cope. Oh, he says, you'll cope. You've got prayer and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and you've got me up on high able to, who's, who's, who has already shown he is able to save you as the one who is able to keep you and to see you through to the end. And you go to work, whether you're a man or a woman or whatever age it is, you go to work and there's nothing like the workplace in today's world, pardon me, for misery, for bitterness, for backstabbing, for complaining, for stealing, for rebellion, for whatever. And you just go there and you're just a nobody, you know, and you say to yourself... Oh, the boss is rotten, he stinks, you know. I mean, face reality. Maybe he is. The Christian never lives in fantasy land and pretends that all these terrible things aren't as terrible as they are. They, they jolly well are bad. I often say to young people, look, can I just explain to you, firstly, life does stink. Right? Get over that. The key is, what are you going to do in the midst of that? You can't change it. You can't change the things in the workplace that you may have to face. But you go there and you say to yourself, as it says in Colossians 3.23, speaking to people who are going to work, he says, what you're going to do, you do it as unto the Lord. You actually go to work and you say, well, my boss is the Lord, and I'm going to do it for him. Do you know something? They might laugh at you. They might treat you badly. They might do all sorts of things. But I can tell you, it's absolutely true. You are actually shining light. And one day someone will say something and it'll thrill you that your life made an impression on them and you sort of weren't even aware of it. You felt such a hopeless failure. But as you went about your business as if it was unto the Lord, the difference is like light shining in darkness. The one hand, the kingdom of darkness. And on the other, the kingdom of the son of his love. And you're here on business for the king. Now let's take it all together and put us all together, right? And we gather together as a church. Why do we gather together as a church? Why do we even exist? Answer amidst other answers, but the one I want to bring to our attention, we're here for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? We exist as a church for the furtherance of the kingdom of God, the declaration of who Jesus Christ is as King of kings and Lord of lords and the Saviour of sinners. We are to be like a city that's set upon a hill, it says in Scripture. And you can get the picture in the dark world in which we live of confusion and unbelief and chaos and evil. And you say, well, you're journeying through a darkness just wondering where to go. And there in the distance you see the lights aglow. And you say, there's a habitation there. There's people there. I can see as a weary traveller there's rest there. I can see that there is food there. There is shelter there. There is welcome there. And we as a church, as we gather together, we should beam that light of welcome right across the darkness of the world in which we live. God, give us bigger hearts and shine like a city set upon the hill. 
You see, a church, the church is not just a, um, well, a circle, you know, a very cozy circle where we, we gather with our friends and people that we can sort of relate to and it's nice to have each other. And it is. The circle of fellowship amongst the Lord's people is a wonderful thing to have. And it's a wonderful thing for the blessing of our families and children. But go beyond self. God help us to get to others. Others, Lord. Yes, others. Help me to live for others. That I might live like thee. There are others that they need fellowship. There are others that need teaching. There are others that need feeding. There's others that need the gospel. We're in a needy world full of needy souls, needy saints, needy sinners. And the light of God has shone into our hearts. The God that spoke that out of darkness light should shine has shone into our hearts so that we may give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that that light which we have in our earthen vessels can be seen. The light shone into us, bringing us into the kingdom, so that that light can shine out from us, embracing the truth of the kingdom, that others might be blessed. The light shines in so that it can shine out. We are not the terminus of God's blessings. We are the transmission stations. It shines in to shine out. Why? Because we're thinking of the others. You see, this was the entire heart of the king, the master himself. This is the master's heart. Can you not see him on the last, the great day of the feast and that religious ceremony? And he stands in the temple and he says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Any man. See the inclusive nature. As he sees thirsty soul, any man. You say, well, that was in the temple. Is that what you do in the temple? Did he do it anywhere else? He was out there on the countryside and he, he saw the people and he said, oh, come unto me, all ye that labor. See the inclusiveness. See the heart of the master the heart of the king who would fain bring every soul into his kingdom. And you see in the characteristics of his life, over and over again, multitudes were thronging him. They pressed upon him that he hardly knew who was what. He was in the house and he was teaching and all the seats were so filled up and the doors were packed and the street was packed and the lame man comes and he can't get in the door and there's so many people there wanting to be blessed and he's receiving them all that he even receives a man that came down through the roof. Eh? He even received a man that came down through the roof. I read an interesting story about uh, Jonathan Edwards when he was preaching in the north of there in America. He said the multitudes were coming to the church. He said, I would come to preach. I couldn't get past them to get in the door. And he said, they passed me over their heads with their hands as he get into the doorway. And then he got into the doorway. He said it was so hot in there that it was literally humidity dripping off the roof. He said, the sweat was pouring off me. I couldn't get my coat from my back. They passed me over their heads to get me to the pulpit. And there he preached and he preached to the multitude. He never said, sorry, we're full up. You see. No, no. God give us that heart like the master. The heart that's meant 
for others. It's crowned, really, in Luke 15, and it's sheer beauty. You know Luke 15? We all know Luke 15. The parable of the sheep. What is it? The lost coin of the lost son. All right? Do you know how it starts? Then drew near all the tax gatherers and the sinners unto him. Did you hear the word all? <laughs> and did you notice they were tax gatherers and sinners? They were a motley group, you know. They weren't the upper echelon of society. They certainly weren't the upper echelon of the religious group. They were just sinners, tax gatherers, and they'd have been quite a mixed multitude. And you know the others looked, the religious, the churchgoers, the synagogue men, and they said, oh, this man, he receives sinners, and he eats with them. Isn't that lovely? Look at the heart. He receives them. That's, they knew what he was doing. And he says to them, oh, excuse me with your criticism, you don't understand how I feel. He says, I actually feel like a shepherd that's lost that one, one sheep. That's how I feel. He says, I actually feel like a, a woman that, you know, she, she lost that valuable coin. I actually feel like a father that's lost his son. And I've been waiting so long for them to return. And here they are, he says. That's how I feel. It's others, you see. The master's heart to embrace all and bring them into blessing. And in all its beauty, it comes out in the scriptures. And fellow believer, I would exhort us all this morning as a church of God that our hearts might be expanded to embrace others, Lord. Yes, others. Let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I might live like thee. Do not fear if they break up the circle of friends. Do not be so selfish as to be worried as to how much work it will cost and how much time it will take and all the disruption to your daily lifestyle. It's got nothing to do with it. The master, what did he do? He went out there and he laboured right through to his death. We must be prepared to spend and be utterly spent for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the furtherance of the great work of the kingdom of God. I remember some time back listening to a pastor who was preaching. He was up, pretty sure it was Dublin, and he had a very large church that was quite full. And he told a beautiful story of how they moved into the new church and he said, you know, there were so many empty seats. <laughs> and he said, before the very first service, he said, I came here and I knelt in front of every seat and I said, Lord, pray, Lord, would you just fill this empty seat with a sinner that's seeking salvation or a soul that's seeking food from the word of the Lord? He said, he went around every one, every Sunday, every week he did it. And I tell you what, that church was packed out from end to end. For we have a God who answers our prayers. And in the things of the kingdom of God, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. Fellow Christians, God has blessed us here. We have a capacity for at least a hundred people. And he never gave us a church that could seat a hundred people so we could have fifty seats empty. Never! Never! Is there not one of us who will pray like that? Can we not capture this morning the heart of the Master who would have all men to be saved? All men to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
the other Sunday. What was it? 140 people packed into the place. And oh, you know, it was, it was such a hoo-ha, really. It was an incredible inconvenience. I mean, the parking was a mess. It really was a mess. As for the noise out of the back room, you should have heard it. You couldn't hear yourself think. You really couldn't. There was just noise upon noise of people everywhere. The food they ate, I mean, pizzas just disappeared like the magic wand was waved over them. As for the mess they made, the place was trashed. I mean, the clean-up. You asked the likes of Brother Graham Ireland and Bueller. It was wearying. I mean, oh, couldn't have that every week. Couldn't do that. You see what I mean? Is that really how we're to view it? Are you going to say, what a thrill? Three young people giving witness to their faith able to stand and tell their peers that they're going to be on business for the king. And to some, there they weren't even in the kingdom. They knew nothing of salvation. And to others, they had little understanding of the things of God and the ways of God. What do I say? What an inconvenience. No, glory to God. The work of the kingdom is going on. How is it? It's through prayer that this happens and is enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, but not without prayer. Like that pastor that preached, that prayed over every empty seat till it was full. And many souls were blessed and brought into the kingdom. Let me tell you just a couple of things by way of experience. One in particular. I can remember being in a church some 20 odd years ago and it was a real concern that People were not being saved in that church. Now, what I mean is, the believers' families, yes, they were being saved. But others, Lord, yes, others. What about the leper? What about the lame? What about the blind? What about the brokenhearted? What about the sinner who's never heard the gospel? It wasn't happening. And I really felt that we were not being used in the kingdom of God as we should be used. And there was another very dear brother there, uh, an elder in the church, who felt the same way. And I said, he mentioned it to me. I said to him, oh, but look, you know, we've got quite a few people coming. He said, yeah, we have. And they're coming from other churches, and that's lovely, but that's not church growth, that's poaching. (laughs) That's a bit hard. But uh, he had a point. So we thought, what will we do about it? Well, we said, we pray. You know, we prayed for six months. At the end of six months, we looked at each other and said, what's happening? Nothing. Uh, what do we do? And he said, well, we'll just keep praying. Good advice. Pray for another six months, and then something incredible happened one Sunday morning. I was standing somewhere towards the back a bit, and people were coming in and taking their places, and we all knew each other, yes, yes. And then through the door, there came this young girl, and believe you me, you couldn't miss her. She looked like a Christmas tree. Pardon me saying so. She was dressed in red and she was dressed in green and she had shoes and then a splash of yellow somewhere and funny things coming out of her head. It was incredible. You know, oh boy, I wonder who this is. And uh, she was an Asian girl and I remember thinking, oh, must go and bid her welcome. And I went up and spoke to her and said, lovely to see you, etc., etc. And she said, I, I am shifted into the area. You have shifted? Yeah, that's lovely. Uh, yes, I am a student. I am... I am here to study at Griffith University. Just like that. I said, well, that's lovely, and you're very, very welcome. And then she said this, 
I have come to seek the living God. And I said, oh, that, uh, what did you say? And she said, I have come to seek the living God. And I just was staggered. I thought, God has answered our prayers. He has sent someone to us that's seeking the kingdom of God, a soul in whom the Holy Spirit has begun a work. And in his kindness and mercy, he has seen fit to include us in this great work of the extension of the kingdom of God. And you know what happened from that day over a period of time, period of several years? There was a steady trickle, a steady trickle. One, one would bring one, who would bring two, who would bring four, who would bring six. You'd invite them to the home and you just chat and talk and they come back and they hear the word of the Lord. And over that period of time, folks with no church background, often no knowledge of Christianity, or Christians who had st- were stumbled and completely broken, a goodly number were saved and today are still going on for the Lord. And they come from Singapore and they come from Hong Kong. And they come from India, north and south. Two different countries as far as I could work out. Africa, Korea, Japan and Australia. And before God I lie not, that is what can be done in prayer when you really want to see the kingdom of God being extended. What was the key? It was prayer. May the Lord teach us to pray like that Because we want to be on business for the king. We want to serve the king. We will suffer the loss of all if someone else may win Christ. We're prepared to be spent and to be utterly spent for the cause of the gospel. For all our our own comforts to be broken and our own personal time to be used to see another soul snatched as a brand from the burning. I say it again, may he put into our hearts a deeper desire to be used more widely in the great work of the kingdom of God. The beginning is prayer. And Lord, would you not just teach us to pray? Let us labour for the Master from the dawn till setting sun Let us talk of all his glory, bright and fair. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. That's John 14 and 1, in my Father's house. That's the story of their fears. The kingdom work would continue. They could be part of it and the work would grow. And may we in our day, don't blame the day we live in. That, that's a, that's the, the famous theme song of the guilty, I was going to say. Oh, well, it's a day of small things and we can't expect very much. Excuse me, the Holy Spirit is still on earth, isn't he? Isn't he still doing the work of convicting men of sin, righteousness and judgment? Oh, yes, but we find in our society and in this area where we live, you know, there's not much work going on. Rubbish. God is still at work and he's still on the throne. And to say to the gates of hell will not prevail against the great program of the building of his church. And may God just touch our hearts this morning and give us courage and give us comfort as we follow the one who says, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. May the Lord bless us.
Let's pray. Father, there is much that we have said and there is much work to be done. We are unable and confess it humbly in so many ways and totally of ourselves, completely incapable. We know we cannot make things happen. We cannot even start things working. But Lord, we could and we can, in the confession of our own weakness and sin and neglect, ask to be prepared to be made fit to be used in the service, the great work of the kingdom of God. Lord, put it, we pray, on our hearts to have that desire in a way that we've never had it before and to yearn over the lost and the fallen, over your people, many hungry and not fed, many not well taught or understanding. Help us to have a heart to embrace and on behalf of him to whom we have bowed the knee, we may be a service to others, Lord. Yes, others. Hear our prayer and help us to pray in a way that in mercy heaven will move And the blessing can come down. And we might be fit to be used in that great work of the furtherance of the great kingdom of God. How wonderful it will be in that day when it will be seen in its fullness and every knee shall bow. Lord, bless us as we separate. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost really be our blessing and our strength in the days that lie ahead in that name. Amen.